Welcome to Kashmir on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashmir Magazine. And tonight's show is going to be very exciting. I think we're going to have some interesting uh, topics. We're starting off with uh, dealing with the non-observant uh, Jews, how they how they uh, tackle the question of kashrus. In other words, how we deal with people who are not committed to be orthodox, but they want to do kosher. And I, I've been some interesting material about that. And then we're going to go on to some things that uh, were, were on a recent ACO uh, program, including the, the fish fish fraud problems, and then we're going to go into, I don't know, I can do it in old order, and party planners, and then after that, Billy Nether, all this is Billy Nether, <laughs> depends what we get up to. We hope to go on to a uh, question about vegetables, interesting uh, observations there, and airline meals, and if we get all through all this today, that's, uh, that's a lot, but we have also the question of Tvilas Kalim. And I, I want to mention that t- t- I, I have to find out who's listening to me. I, don't, I know everybody, a lot of people who are listening because they come up to me and they say, we wish you, you know, could get you a different way. But this is the way we're going to be got, gotten now over the telephone at 718-506-9099 or on the Internet at jrootradio.com or the JRoot Radio apps. And 712-432-4217, 712-432-4217. I think oh, everybody okay. knows this by heart. Yeah, okay, but, but those are the ways it can yes. reach us, and if you have any problem, let us know. We'll, we'll try to you know, help you get the right ways to reach us. I want to make sure that people are listening, and then therefore I decided to make a special offer tonight, and I'm going to repeat it a couple of times and see if anybody's interested, and this will give me an idea, an indication of who is there, and this is a, uh, an offer we never did in the history of Akasha's magazine and not in J Radio either. So I'm going to tell you the offer now. If you would like to get a subscription to Akasha's magazine, which comes out five times a year, and you have the Kosher's Travel Guide, a Kosher Supervision Guide to all the Hashkachas in the whole world, you have the Kosher Travel Guide to 355 cities across the United States of America and all 50 states, you have the magazine coming out uh, five times a year, plus the uh, the, uh, the the Pesach guide, and again, so it's six books all together. And if you'd like to get it, it's going to cost you eighteen dollars, as opposed to our regular rate of twenty five dollars. So scribble down this number now. It's seven one eight three three six eight five four four. You contact us; we'll get back to you and give you that. But I'm going to make another offer, which is, I think, even more exciting. You can have two subscriptions, one to you, one to a friend or a relative, or a rabbi or whoever you want the other one go to. Or if you want both of them for yourself, one to the house and one to the office. Or it's wherever you want to send it. So you can have two subscriptions for $25. So it's either $18 for one or $25 for two. Never did this. And you can reach us, 718 336-8544. Three three six eight five four four. Just leave a message. We'll call you back. Seven one eight three three six eight five four four. And the other number is, uh, I'm sorry. The other way to reach us is is kashrus at aol dot com. That's k a s h r u s at aol dot com. And you can also see us on our website, which is kashrusmagazine.com. And you can, but you will, if you sign in there, we won't know about the special. 
You have to tell, it could be wrote down there, Jay, with special. I'll give it to you there, too. Okay, now we're ready to begin. This is what I'm going to talk about in the beginning was, um, was because of a call that I received. The woman called up, and uh, she asked me a question about two Ashkachas, both of which are on the lowest end of the Kashrus totem pole. You know, the highest level, and there's middle levels and lower levels, and you're the bottom. And these are two from the bottom. And she asked about them, and, you know, I said right away, I was, I was going to tell her maybe, you know, you can do better, but I, I did it in my way. This is the way I do it very often. I asked, are you orthodox? Of course, 99.9% of the people answer yes. You know, uh, or if they don't, if they're not really, they say, uh, I, I, I try to keep orthodox kosher. She said, no. <laughs> She's not orthodox, but she wants kosher. Okay, so now I have my challenge. And this is what I want you to understand about this challenge because this is something that touches on all of us, not just if we ask the question, it touches on our own lives. You're going to see in a minute why. This all touches, touches on everybody, what I'm, going to, what I'm talking about now. So she asked, you know, what's the bottom line? I know what the top line of kosher is, whatever I consider to be the highest hashkocha. But what's the bottom line? What's the, what's the, 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 the place where you can't go lower than? And is it, is it in the threshold? Is this below the threshold? So now I have a real challenge. Because if I tell her no, so it's hard for her. She says she wants a specific thing. I'm not going to tell you what it is. It's a certain kind of cheese. I'm not going to get into details about it. certain kind of cheese. And the only ones who are making it have these two ashkachas. Neither one would I recommend to anybody. But on the other hand, they're orthodox people. The Orthodox people giving those hashgachas. And I know them personally. And I know that they believe in what they're doing. I don't agree with them. They're not towing the line with kashras in America today. They're not doing the standards of what I call American standard of kashras. They're not where the OU and OK and the Kafka and the Star K are. They're not with the Hasidic crowd and the Hamish hashgachas. They're, they're basically, you know, on the bottom. The bottom feeders of kashras. But on the other hand, they are orthodox. And not only that, at least in one of the cases, very, very knowledgeable man. And has a reason what he's doing, why he's doing what he does. Even though I don't agree with it. But he has a reasons why he's doing it. And I, I you know, now I have a challenge. Because the woman is not orthodox. And then if I will say no, she's going to say, why, Rabbi? I don't know what I'm going to say. So it's a problem. So I decided to explain to her a little bit about Kashrus. And I explained to her that what Kashrus was, a little history, very short, but a little history. Went back to the 30s when almost nothing was kosher. It were, it were like, I saw the list from the OU and in 1938 or something like that, 33, whatever the year was, it was, just, it was a, a pitiful list. There were about 15, 20 items that were kosher certified. And even, and even them, so I think, were just some of them were just recommended. But that was the whole list, not the millions of products today. I mean, there's over a million products that are kosher for sure. The OU claims, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands, many hundreds of thousands. There's millions of products that are kosher. It's like the whole world by name. In other words, one one company may do fifty thousand different labels. But I'm saying, if, if you take the whole thing together, it's it's over a million. Maybe a couple. It's a good couple of million, probably things that are kosher certified. In those days, there were less than eighteen, 
I don't remember the exact number. It was in a little publication, and the light, I believe it was, and it and it had listed the kosher certified and accepted products back in the 1930s. So that that was where life was then, and there was all kinds of cheating and funny stuff going around. People actually calling kosher and knowing it's treif and selling it anyway, and we there was a lot of shenanigans. Came along. In 1950s, when they started organizing cashless agencies, so there were standards. But you know and I know that a lot of people were reading ingredients, and a lot of people didn't know that much. And even those people who were giving ashkocha probably never went back to the original source of every one of the ingredients in the product. That was That's a very, very challenging job, and would take a lot of man hours and a lot of people, and they didn't have that many people involved. They didn't have that manpower. They didn't have that much money coming into the cashless organizations. They weren't ready for that. They did the best they could, and, you know, that's what they did in those days in the 1950s. If you look, grew up in the 50s, realize it wasn't 100% perfect, but maybe, a wibble, maybe, maybe Hashem protected us and we ate kosher. I don't know. But now, we're not near there. We're, we're a million miles ahead. We have all, all these uh, chemists working for cashless agencies with laboratory reports. It, you should see the, the materials that come across my desk with all the charts and all the analysis, all the stuff. This is, it's not for plain people. This is a, these are, the people working in these cashless agencies are very sophisticated and educated. They could take a job in a, in a factory and be the manager of the factory. They could be uh, you know, a, a head person making uh, three $400,000 a year, one of these people working in a, in a cashless office for, for $75,000 a year. He could be making a couple hundred thousand dollars in private industry. There's no question about it. They're, they're, they're very, they know their stuff. They're tremendous. That's what cashless is today. And these two cashless agencies, I explained to her, are back in the 1950s. They haven't changed. They're doing the way cashless used to be. So there may be a reason for that, but we don't do things like then. You don't dress like things like then. You don't eat other foods. For the, you, 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 you live in a life of 2017. You don't live back in the 1950s. Oh, maybe cute to put on some clothes from the 1950s, but you're not living in the 1950s, living now. You, you, you want a sophisticated life, and yet you want a cashless to compromise. So I tried to, in a nice way to try to put it to her. But she said, Rabbi, I think that, that some of the people are just saying bad things because she, she had heard other bad things about them before, that's before she called me because that's why she called. So I said, well, listen, they're orthodox people. We're not going to put them down. But they're not doing things the way we do today. I tried my very best to explain to her. Why didn't I say, skip it? Because it would have just turned her off to me and to orthodoxy. And she would have thought there's some kind of collusion here. There's some kind of, you know, they're odd man out. People don't like them. They're these hashkochas, but they're really the same. And, and she, I tried to give her an understanding. I didn't put her down at all for the fact that she's not Torah observant. And that's the way I personally tried to handle all these people who ask these questions. And I've told a few of the stories here on the radio. I'm going to just tell you two stories again. And maybe you heard, remember, heard of them, you didn't hear them. It'd be even better. A woman calls me up. This is many years ago. It's at least 25, 20, 25 years ago. 
I still remember when she called up and you know when where I was standing and everything, and she said to me, "I want to kosher my home. How do I kosher my summer home?" So I said to her, "Well, that's very complicated. I can't do it over the phone with you." She said, well, "You know," I said, "Ask your rabbi." She said, "Rabbi Wickler, I can't ask my rabbi. I'm reform, and my rabbi doesn't keep kosher, but I do." So I said, okay, here we go. And I gave her instructions how to kosher her home. The connection she had with me is what kept her res- respectful for orthodoxy. The, 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 that's the thing that we have, and we can't let it go. Even if the person is not observant, even if the person is definitely not in our league at all, we don't have a right to turn them off. We don't have a right to put them down in their place and say, you're not observing business, so this is all silly, what are you wasting your time for? Or or say that you know, you're know you not being consistent. No, it's not time to give musr. The person's calling and asking a question, and you're their link to Orthodox Judaism. You take it for all it's worth, and you try to put an, a good spin on it and show that you cared about them and that you didn't put them down. And in fact, you were appreciative that they're interested in this mitzvah. And I've had, Baruch Hashem, many opportunities to speak to these kind of people. One more tr- situation happened very recently, and that was, uh, well, this wasn't so recently, it was a couple of years ago. A woman called me up, all upset that a certain rabbi puts his hashkacha on a product that has kidneys, I'm talking American product, American rabbi. He puts it on, on a product that has kidneys and says this is good for Ashkenazim and Svadim and everybody. It's good, it's good for everybody. It's fine. And he writes it where his sources are, which great rabbis of old permitted it. So this kind of situation upset this woman. She called me up to talk to me about, is it really true? Is this what he really does? I said, yes, that's what he does. You know, he gives hashkach on it, and he claims it's kidneys, and he claims you could eat it. She says, oh, I couldn't eat that. I'm not, not for Pesach. I'm, I'm Ashkenaz. I'm not, uh, I'm not Sephard. I have to, I have to g- keep kidneys. And we talked a few minutes, and then finally it came out that she's not observant. And she doesn't keep kosher all year. She just keeps kosher for Pesach. And I tried to put a few feelers out and may help her in some way to to open up to, to the rest of her commitment. But I didn't want in any way to put it down. She's a person calling me, asking me what to do, and and, and trying to understand about Kashvis, and I'm her link. And that's what we have to realize. We have to realize that we are the representatives of Orthodox Judaism. When we meet these people in the street, when they call us up, when they ask us, when they maybe in, I had today, a man came to me. Uh, we're walking out of shul, learning in the mornings, and working out of a shul, and uh, it was actually after mincha, and he starts asking me a certain question. He has a a chain with a mug and oven on it. And it, was a, it wasn't an important question. It wasn't about kashas, and it wasn't an important thing. But, you know, I gave him the time. He wasn't dressed the way we dress. He definitely was not our type. And, uh, and you, that was not a question. But, uh, but still in all, 
We're the link to Orthodox Judaism, and we got to take that seriously. Let me tell you why I said this has something to do with us, because so far it doesn't sound like it has too much to do with us. I get a lot of calls from people in, uh, who are teaching in schools, different yeshivas, most of the girls' schools. Most of the times a woman calls me up from a girls' school, and she took away something from the kids, or they brought something in. And it has a funny ashkacha, or it doesn't have a good ashkacha, it has a K, it has this. They don't want if they should let it in the school, let the kid have it. I said, what, kind of, what school is this? And it depends. If the school is a, a regular base Yaakov, so they're going to get one answer. If the school is a, a Kirov Yeshiva, where the people are not necessarily observant, it's going to get a different answer. Because to take that thing away from the child and make the child feel like two cents, you've got to have a lot, of, uh, a lot of truth behind it. You've got to be very, very sure that it's not kosher to take something away from somebody. On the other hand, a kid going to a base Yaakov or a yeshiva, regular yeshiva, and they bring that thing to the school. What are you bringing that thing in for? I don't even think he got it from the house. You might have picked it up in the street. And certainly, if he comes to your house, even uh, that's the kind of kids we have. You have to, you have to train them. We have, a, we have standards. This is uh, from kids in this class. It doesn't belong with us here. But we have to know who is asking the question. So these are some examples of people that may get a different answer based on who is asking the question. Now, here's where I really want you to focus. And that is, I get other calls. And this one I got just the other day about WIC. The people who are on WIC programs and they give certain foods out that don't have either any hashkocha, or better yet, they can get a hashkocha, but it's not the hashkocha that they would normally choose. And now they have to decide, are they going to get it for free from WIC, or are they going to have to pay for it out of their pockets? Sometimes they're B'nai Torah, and it's expensive for them, etc. And sometimes I get the calls about things that they can get for free, like uh, all the women calling up about uh, certain vitamins when they're pregnant, they get certain uh, you know, prenatal vitamins free because the doctor prescribed, gave it to them and they began to get doctor suggested this one and whatever it is, there's a lot of times that they're going to get it free or their insurance won't cover it. The, the, the one that's really co- that's kosher, the insurance won't cover it. Only this one can be covered. At those times, you got to think, who am I? Am I the Ben Torah or the Bas Torah that I think I am? Or am I... One of those people calling from that school, or that woman that's called me from, you know, who's not uh, so committed. We have to decide who we are. Now, in certain cases, like the case I got the other day, I told the, the gentleman who called, I said, I don't think you have to be machne. I think you could use that hashkacha for this product. In general, you might choose other ones, I understand, but this product, the, the one you told me, you could use and save the money. So it's a cheshman, no question about it. And all of that has to go into the, the question and the answer. And any Rav who doesn't want to answer the question with all of the side things is not at, acting properly. Don't, when they call you up and ask a question, they're not asking what I do. They're asking what they should do. 
and with and when they're asking you if it's kosher or not, or can I can I have it? They don't they don't you don't have to work from the premise of how can I make him be more and more from. You have to answer the question Sham, the question that comes up, and that's what we have to understand about the questions we're asking. What kind of an impression are we giving? What kind of a, what kind of a necessity we're we presenting, and do we really want to do that? I had a gentleman call me up the other day, and he wanted uh, the, the came, thing came up about the about the uh, the corn, the corn on the cob. So he said to me, uh, "Is it true what you're saying about the corn?" I said, "Yeah, we're not using it." He said, "But they have it here, and everybody else is eating it. I didn't eat yet. Should I eat it?" I told him, "You know, if you want to do it, I'm doing it. I've, I've told you that's uh, you know." So he said, "Okay." I'll, I'll pass on it. We'll make a big deal about it. They'll never realize they didn't have it. And uh, you know. And then later on, he asked me. He said, "Well, what, what do you do if you, you throw everything out?" Is well, I you know I don't think it's so easy to clean it at all. But if, but if if the niblets were taken off and they were washed, it wouldn't be a problem. But otherwise, you're not going to sit there examining the niblets. So uh, you know sometimes you just have to let it go. And these are the decisions that you have to make when you're asking the question and when you're hearing the answer. And I, the Rav has to, has to think about all this when the question is being asked. And the other point that I made in the beginning, that we have to think about how we impact on the non-observant Jew, because we are the representatives of orthodoxy. There's, there's a gentleman I know very well. I, I, I teach him. And he became from, and somewhere along the line, he decided to put a yarmulke on in his work. And he works for the government, and he's exposed to a lot of people, and, you know, he's got an important position there. But he made the decision, I'm going to put the yarmulke on, which he had never done in his life. I mean, you know, he's, now he's a religious. He had been religious in his home, or in his back pocket. He kept the yarmulke. He put it on. So he told me, as soon as he put the yarmulke on, people started asking him Shilas. <laughs> people came to him and asked him questions. He had a young man in his office talking to him about who knows how long, you know, what, about different problems, different issues. He became a rabbi. As soon as he put a yarmulke on, he's very far from being a rabbi, but as soon as he put his yarmulke on, the world was different. And it, it's, it's interesting that way. Anyway, we're going to go on to our next topic. If anybody wants to call in, we're here. And our phone here today is 718-683-5858, 718-683-5858, or you could text us at 347-927-8398. Again, if you want to call, 718-683-5858, or text at 347-927-8398. I want to remind the people that I get a special offer today, if you just tuned in, the special offer is for Cautious Magazine, a subscription for one year at $18. The regular price is $25. And also, if you'd like to order two subscriptions, it's two subscriptions for $25. We never offered such a thing. It's uh, two subscriptions for $25. That's $12.50 each. So if you want to take advantage of these offers, you can reach us uh, at the office, you can leave a message even right now. That's why I advise 718-336-8544, 718-336-8544, or you can text us. I mean, you can t- you can text us also. Yeah, you text the same to the uh, to the cautious magazine, cautious at aol dot com. You can text or or email us at 
Kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com. And I'm doing that special offer because I want to see how many of you are listening. So you can get two subscriptions for $25 or one for 18 Save yourself some money tonight at uh, calling us at 718-336-8544 or, tech, or texting or emailing to Kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com. And if you want to look at us on the web, you can see it at kashrusmagazine.com. Okay, so now I'm going on to the next topic. I mentioned that I would do a little bit about the fish fraud. Now, I'm going to skip the names of the people who were involved here, who spoke, because I don't want um, this was at an ACO convention. I don't have the authority to, you know, to quote people directly and give names out, and I'd prefer just to keep it a little more secret. Um, anybody who has a, anyone knows anybody in the ACO can get this material. It was from the recent Vodham conference and uh, 2017 Avadim Conference, and this is about fish fraud. And now there's a basic machlaikas going on between the different rabbanim and the different kashvist agencies. Some rabbanim require that once you have fish that is now in, uh, that's now fish fillets, that no longer uh, with skin on the outside, then you have to have a rov present. You have to have a mashkiach. You, you can't do that without having somebody present. Because when you have a fish, full, a fish, a whole fish, you can see fins and scales. When you see scales, you know that there were fins because every fish that had scales has fins and scales. So that's no problem. But if you only see fins, you don't know if it's kosher fish plenty of fish that have fins that are not kosher. And you have to see the scales. So what about if you're getting fillets? As many of the companies are being producing fish with no mashkiach present at all. No mashkiach there at all. And what are they relying on? And what are the other organizations requiring mashkiachim to be there? Why are they makpin on it? So it was quoted in the name that Rabelsky said in the name of Rav Henkin, Rav Henkin was one of the Paiskim in the time Moshe was alive, and going back, you know, he, before he was one of the uh, one of the Paiskim in America, and everybody, uh, you know, revered what he said. But Belsky quoted Rav Henkin, who understood that it's a mitzvah the Rabbonin to check each fish when one is confident that on, uh, even when one is confident that o- o- the only fish that are p- could possibly be there are kosher. You still have a chiyuv midrabonim to check. The other rabbonim hold that as long as you know it's a kosher type of fish, however you found out, then you don't need to check it. It's going to just, you can rely on that. You don't have to see it visibly. You just have to know that it's kosher fish, that you, you mean that it can't, I mean, at any time it could be a substitution, but that you're very confident that it's only kosher fish. So I just give them five, a couple of minutes. Oh, nine? Okay. The Mishnah in uh, Avodah Zorah, Daf Lamed Heimer Beis, tells us that there's something called tris trufa, which is fish fillets. And if you buy them from non-Jews, the question is, uh, you know, how would you tell that it's a kosher fish? So some, uh, some hold that... Uh, you know, that Gemara there is only talking about when you're, uh, it may come from a non-kosher fish. 
but uh, some people hold that the Takanas Chazal is not to eat fish fillets unless the Jews saw that they came from kosher fish, and that's how Rabelsky was learning. Rav Shachter, oops, I shouldn't have said, okay, he said, he said the Tshuvah Chasam Soifer, that one may be lenient if there's merely a very unlikely possibility defined as being less than one in a thousand that the fish is non-kosher. So if you were relatively sure that they're not, it couldn't be unkosher, then according to those Rabbanim, you could rely on it. So the different organizations are, react differently. Some mashkachas require mashkiach tamidi, and others do not require mashkiach tamidi. They do not require mashkiach at all. They require visitations occasionally from a mashkiach to see that the, the, the plant is in order. It may be once a month, maybe a couple times a year. It could be whatever they decided that they need, but it's definitely not every minute. And, uh, and even when they have mashkichim, some agencies don't have enough mashkichim to be able to check the fish actually. So you have to have that at least that they could check all the fish, whether they ever see every one or they don't, that, that may not invalidate it as long as they're trying to and they can see the fish. But if they couldn't see it at all, if they're not there, so th- those organizations hold that the fish are not acceptable. Now, this is something that was pointed out at the ACO. I'm going to tell you some interesting facts. There's a change in the import tax laws. So it became very, 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 very uh, valuable for people to start using Asian catfish and snake mackerel. Mackerel is a kosher fish, but snake mackerel is not kosher. So the Asian catfish and the snake mackerel are started to be being used to substitute for other fish. At the same time, salmon is almost never uh, substituted. And it, it mentions also that here that a considerable amount of the mislabeling that goes on in the fish is really not about kashras. It's about was it uh, wild or was it farm-raised, you know, things like that, or which country it came from. Those things may affect us. If you're interested in worms, maybe it affects you. But in terms of regular kashras, it doesn't affect you. And that's what a lot of the mislabeling is going on. But there's, an organi- there's a company, organization actually, called Oceana, and they studied this whole topic, and they're finding a tremendous amount of, f- of uh, fraud in the fish business. A lot of it is, though, as we said, with our place of origin or farmed, or whether it's a safe practices or unsafe practices, or maybe it's a question, very often it's in the restaurants they're cheating, or the stores, when you're in a little store where you buy your fish from. But in the big uh, big fish manufacturers, it's, it's usually not uh, any substitution there. However, there is some. And it's, of course, valuable to do that for the, for the companies. And if a fish got in here or there, if it wouldn't ruin the m- equipment, they wouldn't mind if it went through the line. So there are many reasons why uh, it's valuable to have the mashkiach checking the fish. Now, what became common in recent times is what they call skin tags. That's a little tag on the back of the fish, and it's a little piece of skin that's still attached. They take off all the skin and leave about an inch square on the back. And this will be enough to identify that the fish had scales, because either the scales are actually still on that skin, 
or you could see the in places where they were embedded and they came off and you could tell it was actually a scale before. So that's enough of a sign for many people that the fish is kosher. But what they found out recently, and this is very scary, I heard about it before, but it's a very scary thing, is that people are cheating and gluing the tags onto the fish, which means that they skinned the whole fish. It's the easiest way in the world to take it all off, right? Uh, how are you going to leave a little uh, one in one square inch? It's, it's a big avoided to leave it the, a little piece there, you know. Instead, they they took the, they took the whole skin off, and then they put some glue or something and attached this little piece of skin to the back of the fish, which means that at one time it had no skin, and then they put this little skin on to fool us, and they're finding that this happened a certain amount of times and this concern and the industry right now is a little in flux about that little skin tag on the back. So it'd be very nice. Now, a lot of fish that comes from China comes like that because uh, a lot of people, regular from companies, they're buying fish from China and they're having a little skin tags on the back. I would like to believe, but I don't know for sure, that the cashless agencies that give those hashkachas uh, have somebody there in China and have some supervision in China and that this uh, little thing on the back is just uh, an additional plus or something of that nature. But I can't tell you that for sure. There is a way to tell if that skin tag is is really there, from it's, it's really where it was placed or it was stuck on. But it, it, in order for you to do that, you have to be specially trained. Not all the mashkichim know enough, uh, sharp enough to catch that difference. So it's a very <laughs> interesting problem. That's a little bit about fish. Since the time is moving along, I'm going to go skip ahead, maybe move around a little bit. I want to do the party planners, but maybe I'll save it for another time, or if we have some room, we'll, we'll sneak it in. I want to read this piece, which I thought was extremely interesting, about airline meals. And I think everybody who travels in the airlines can appreciate this. Now, I'm reading, again, I, I don't want to tell you who wrote this, but uh, it's, a, it's a cashless agency. I didn't find him listed on the CRC website, and therefore I didn't want to read his name. And besides, uh, I don't want to you know, confuse everybody. So I, we, we were leaving out his name. But he's a, a person who gives hashkocha in, uh, in a faraway country that's a Sephardic country. And he, they do over there, under his certification, 250,000 kosher meals per day. I'm not exaggerating. They do 250,000 kosher meals every day under this hashkocha. They are either produced for immediate use, like fresh, or they're frozen for up to a few months, or for long-term storage. Sometimes they're canned. The fresh meals only last two days. Such Okay. Now, here are some of the details, which I was very amazed about, but I really it was impressed me. I, was, I wish I, I, I could know more about this gentleman and whether I could tell you his name. I wish I could, but I don't have enough information not to do it. The, these are some of his requirements. Listen to this. Rolls are made with fruit juice, not from concentrate. They don't use any water. The rolls are made with fruit juice, not concentrate. 
That means it really is a Mizonos. And it's noted that way in the package. But I've always been suspicious of it. But if they say not from concentrate, then it's not from concentrate. But this, see, they really do it over there. I don't know what they taste like, but they must be very sweet. No meat meals are prepared to avoid people's sensitivities about which shritas they don't want to use, they want, or to wait six hours after the meal. So they have no meat meals, only dairy. And dairy meals are all chal of Yisrael. That's really interesting. There's a foreign country, all the way in the other side of the world, basically, and but there's all chal of Yisrael. Food is all bisha Yisrael as per Sephardic requirements because the local community are all Sephardim. So they, they toe the line there. Beautiful. All the food is Yashin. Unbelievable. That's, I, I'm very impressed. Hot portion of a meal is packed separate from the rest of the food so that it can be heated by airline personnel without compromising the seals of the other parts of the meal. Because once they open up the packaging and they want to put one part into the, into the, into the um, oven... If you don't have the seals properly there, then you will you'll get, get you're going to get confused. You're going to figure maybe I have no proof that it's kosher. So what they do is they make them, as he said, they're packed separately. The ones that parts are going to be heated, so the symbols are on both of them, and you don't have to compromise the other foods. When you open it up, the packaging, you're not compromising the rest of the foods. The Rebbe Machshir's personal email address is on every package. His email address, so that airline passengers can write to him if they have any questions. Of course, they're going to be when you get home, unless you unless you have a, have the ability to do it on the plane. But it says he only receives about ten emails a year from these passengers. Two hundred fifty thousand meals a day. Of course, some of them are frozen, whatever. And he only gets it's almost like our listeners. emails a year from passengers. Well, that's a big problem. Our people have to be out there reporting back in some way about all the kashas that they see. People put themselves on the line, do everything. And, you know, maybe the, at least a question, even if you like everything he does. And then I want to say this part. Uh, okay, that, that gives you a little bit of an idea. But I'm going to read this one here. I'm not going to tell you who it is, although I really wish I could. <laughs> this is a wonderful gentleman I know very well. And he said that his organization gives hashkocha to four airline ki- uh, kitchens. And he said that uh, he has thousands of meals per month. The other rabbi does 250,000 meals per day. And this organization, which is a very big organization, only does a few thousand meals a month. Okay, now he has full-time mashgichim in each location, but listen to this. He said, at the same time that he's working in this plant, making his meals, I mean, their organization, making their kosher meals, that, I, I mean, if you travel in Europe, you're getting this these uh, meals. And he says, when they, these people are... Uh, you know, you know, when they're, they're making the meals for this hashkocha, at the same time, they're making El Al meals, but the standard El Al meals, not the regal, which is under the Volvo Rav, or some Hamish or brand, maybe in other countries, maybe they're using different hashkocha, but it's the regular El Al meals. 
are made in the same kitchens, and they have the same standards as this rabbi has. I mean the, the rabbi that I'm talking about. However, this is what I want you to understand. Those meals, the El Al meals, the regular ones, not the Hamisha ones, those meals are handled by other people after they leave the kitchen. And there's no kashrus control once the meals leave the kitchen. Understand? They were produced kosher, but there's no control once they leave the kitchen. Accordingly, those meals cannot be certified and likely are in spite of their having been produced in a kosher kitchen. Okay? Travelers should think. I always recommend to people to get, when they travel El Al, to get the, uh, the Hamish meals. It's called Regal in New York area. It's, it's from the Bola Barov. I don't know where it is, other places, that what, what the Hamish meals are. But obviously, it's a different quality. The, uh, the, the, the El Al produces in a kosher kitchen here in New York there may be control in New York what happens uh, when it gets onto the plane, etc. It may not be. I don't know. But I, this, was, uh, this is not in New York what I was reading from, but that's about the LL meals. The regular LL meals that are produced in that uh, country are handled by uh, people that are not involved with the hashkoch at all. There's no control once it leaves the kitchen. Okay. I go. I'm going on now. Uh, Rabbi, yeah. sorry. These meals are not sealed after they're leaving the kitchen. Obviously, they're not properly double sealed, and there's reasons for it. And I, I remember this even from the time that uh, that here in New York, the OU, at one point, I have no idea the current status of those meals, but I know that OU disavowed itself of El Al's hashgacha on the El Al meals and took, takes no responsibility for it, even though the, the meals are produced in a kosher kitchen under the OU. So the, the meals, when they're produced in the kitchen, are definitely fine. But they leave, it's preferable for, these, for a company like El Al, they find it better not to have the double seal. So they don't allow that they didn't have it. I mean, that's what was going on. I don't know if it's changed in New York. I don't know, but that's why I always advise people to get the Hamish meals. But I just read to you from the ACO report was that that's what was going on in that country. I'm not going to mention which country. I'm not going to tell you who the rabbis are, but that what I'm telling you is a hundred percent authoritative. Okay. It's it's in general with the LL, you know, there was a concern. I don't know what the current situation. There is a there is a hashkocha. LL has a hashkocha in Israel. One of the rabbis, there's a rabbi for LL, but there's nobody going around. It's not like a mashkiach goes out with any of these things. Um, you know, so it, it basically it's it's both the type of procedures that they follow, but that's the only thing that they have. They don't really have hashkocha on what they're doing outside. Many things happened with uh, over the years. They went and bought tray for food. I've had people tell me they were sitting in the plane. They were, the food was brought in because they got stuck, and the and the staff went out and bought non kosher food and offered it to all the people in the plane. And some people take took it, but it wasn't kosher. 
Unfortunately, I know the stories uh, from a lot inside, and I see that many times the staff themselves doing on purpose. This I can I can well, tell I you. I I know I know I know a lot of no, stories. Unfortunately, I know. I know a lot of friends. I, they, they, used I can to work tell you one the, thing: they never wanted to get stuck for Shabbos. They yeah. never wanted to have those deals because yeah. that kills their respect in the in the Orthodox community when they get stuck close to Shabbos and come on on Shabbos and or, or now with the Shabbos and everybody's going crazy. They don't want those things. What they do, but other things I don't know. But that they don't want. Mm-hmm. Sometimes yeah. they're doing it on purpose. That, but not those, not the Shabbos. No, ones. no, that's Shabbos is the, uh, it's affect that, them. That's I mean, killing I mean, them. That's killing yeah. their business. They <laughs> got a bad name for it. I just want to tell you a little bit about the party planner thing even though I, I don't know if I have a time to do it completely. It, this is a beautiful piece. And what's interesting about this, the party plan is, is I think that most of our people here, people who are listening to me right now, I don't think you know what the story is with the party planners. Everybody uses them. I, 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 was, I was at a chasana yesterday, and, and somebody was telling me over about how much money is being spent on the vort. The vort used to be, you know, a little chayim or whatever it was. Now it became a major affair. And a party planner is used very, very often. And it can cost a nice few thousand dollars just for the vort, which is uh, money that, uh, that both families could probably uh, use for other things too. And, and, the, and the party planner is... Th- to make it more glorious, that's the style we're living in. They want to make it more glorious. And the party planner is, a, is very smart in how to lay it out and how to get fancy-looking things. And that's basically what they're doing. And to, to design it and to make it to be a nice layout and people should enjoy themselves. But the party planners, sometimes they're just assisting a, a, a caterer. It's an add-on. But even then, the things that they bring in, whose hashkocha are they? Are they under the hashkocha that's giving hashkocha to the caterer? Or are they not under the hashkocha? Usually, there are no hashkocha on them at all. The party planners in our neighborhood basically have no hashkocha. We had to use a party planner back a couple of years ago, Baruch Hashem, <laughs> good things. And nice from family. I know the family very well. And uh, the young lady... Um, knowing I'm doing Cashless Magazine, you know, I told her, or she told me, she'll call me up from the stores, you know, whatever it is, and she's out shopping, she'll call me up and, and, and tell me where she's getting things from. So I, I, I can trust her because I mean, we know the family for you for many years. So she's, she's going out and she's buying. I said, no, I don't want from there. No? But they're so nice. Everybody wants them. I said, well, why don't, we, don't, we don't use that store. And I saw after a while that nice family, nice this, nice that, but the whole mind is just in how it appears. It doesn't have anything to do with the quality of Kashrus, and it's not representative of who she is. So if you didn't tell her like I did, uh, she would buy anything that she thought was nice. It definitely would be kosher on a certain level, but it wouldn't be necessarily reflecting your pe- what you want and it may not be reflecting what the people who are coming to you want. So it's not the same as when you go to a caterer and everybody knows the name of that caterer and who's Ashkoch it is. 
And then you see on the little thing on the paper there, it says who it is. Very often the party planners don't put their name out. And then nobody knows when they're going to these affairs, if it's a party planner or it's a caterer. And uh, very often the, 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 the party plan is a total caterer. And you don't know anything where they're getting the foods from. And there's no hashkocha on it. It's hashkocha on the individual stores they go to if they are going to those stores. And they'll make it up in their own house. But definitely you have no control over it. And this is, uh, it seems more exciting out of town. These, these issues become more of a, an issue. But I think we have the same problem here. And I think people are not recognizing it. I'm not one of those people who say you can't use a party planner. And I'm not one of those people who say you can't believe anybody because when, it come, when push comes to shove, everybody has to rely on somebody. Now, if somebody has namanas to you, your brother, your sister, your parents, your friend, you would eat there, that's a certain level of trust that we have. We, and I don't think it has to be rejected. On the other hand, I think a lot of people are entitled to have proper hashkacha. Now, if you send out somebody to pick up something in a store, and you know that store, and you know you sent them there, it's like you did it yourself. Unless he's some crook, you can trust him. And if I know the party planner is going to buy you this from here, and this from here, and this from here, then in a sense, he's my shliach, and I sent him, and there's nothing was the same as I did it. And no one says you have to... You know, you can't trust yourself to bring it in. You have to have a mashkiach watching a non-Jew bring it in. You could do it for yourself and bring it in. So if this is, this is an, a normal extension. But when you don't know what the party planner is doing, and the party planner has no ashkacha, that's what I'm talking about. And that, unfortunately, is very, very, very common. Anyway, the little thing and that I want And the party planner also has some workers that are not Jewish. Right. And they're going to buy this stuff. I don't know. Maybe uh, the party uh, planner does it himself. Maybe maybe he or she. Usually they don't. Okay. The party pl- 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 party planner not themselves don't go to themselves okay. for the. Dish. Maybe you know it's a the big affair. They, they, maybe they don't. Maybe they don't go. Maybe they send somebody else, and you don't know. Maybe there's maybe there's a bus or something child or so even anything that needs simanim on it. There could be those problems, but whatever it is, this is something that people have to tackle. So. You know, it's always this way. In New York, it's Hefker. That's the way we live. But in Chicago, where they were tackling this problem, and I wish we were tackling it here, the Chicago people came up with a little bit of a plan. So the Chicago Rabbinical uh, Organization, the Chicago Rabbinical Council, came up with a plan like this. They said... We're going to uh, get all our abundant to sign a piece of paper. And they sent a letter out, and they mentioned the problems of party planners. I'll give you some of the problems. Here's what party planners do. Sometimes there's homemade food prepared with no kosher certification, especially food items for simchas, the fancy cakes or pastries. Sometimes they're made in personal kitchens without any hashkocha at all. Sometimes they have unsealed meats, unchecked vegetables. And a lot of people don't say, I just put it on for garnishing. I didn't expect anyone would eat it. (laughs) They put these vegetables on. I didn't expect anybody to eat it. It was garnishing. It was just the background. It looked nice. 
<laughs> people don't realize that sometimes there's something crawling in there, like the, with the edible flowers. You know that you know, I mean, not even the flowers they put on these on these trays. A lot of th- those times, those those flowers have bugs crawling out of them. I, I every I, when we were being trained in this, we saw every single flower had a bug in it. It was not. It was not. I couldn't believe it, but everyone had a f- bug in it. Uh, if you take a from the backyard, bring in roses. They're going to have bugs in them. Anyway, so those are some of the problems. Uh, milk and Fleshik served the same event. I don't know how often that happens. Improper reheating of foods on Shabbos. Okay, that's we understand. Liquors and hard drinks that are subject to kashvah concerns and chametzal pesach issues. Fish and meat served at the same table without adequate separation. That could happen. Non-mavushal wine. That does happen. I just heard yesterday. I was at a chasana. And the gentleman next to me, oh, he told me stories. What can I tell you? And I was like, I have a sign that who I was, and I was hearing these stories. So this gentleman told me that he saw a bottle of wine that said, this wine is not, in small letters, and in big letters, mavushal. So the person who sees that sees the word mavushal, and it sticks out because it's big letters, and the small words above it, this wine is not. He doesn't necessarily associate <laughs> with the mavushal, and a lot of times it could be a mistake, because especially when people are not so easy for them to read English, they see the word mavushal, ah, very good. Especially what if they did it in Hebrew? This is not, and they did Hebrew mavushal. Everybody's going to think it's it's mavushal. They're not going to even read it. It's it's insane what goes on. Anyway, so these are things that obviously. To do this properly, and party planners and no mashkiach, it's very interesting. Utensils that are not carefully verified in terms of their source, things like that, with milk is inflation, etc. These are some of the problems that come up. So, what they did was they got the the rabbis to sign a paper, and I'm going to read a little bit of the paper to you. Uh, it's really worth it. We the under this is from, from Chicago. So this is a public uh, document. It's actually a Kol Kairi, important public document, n- announcement. I'm sorry. So there's nothing wrong with me reading it. We, the undersigned Rabbanim, in order to safeguard standards of kashrus in the broader Chicago community, including our synagogue and catering halls, have adopted the following protocols in conjunction with the Chicago Rabbinical Council and ACO, the Association of Kashrus Organizations, relating to the... The hosting of events in our shuls that are coordinated by party planners as well as other independent individuals. All events that take place in a shul or an organization must be under hashkocha, either of an outside hashkocha agency or the rov of the synagogue or institution where the event takes place. Halavai! It happened in New York that a rov would sign that everything has to have a hashkocha when it comes in there. It has to be under hashkocha. The affair has to be under hashkocha, either by him or by a, a responsible kashvah organization. We have shuls that are open shuls. Anybody can bring anything in. And when you go to the simcha, you have no idea whether it's a party planner, a caterer, with a shkocha, the man himself bought a few things here or there, you have no idea 
how the party was put together. No idea at all. But this is what they're doing in Chicago. Not in Brooklyn, but in Chicago. They're signing this paper. Accordingly, party planners and other event coordinators need either to be overseen by a respected outside Hashkocha agency, which is approved by the Rav of the show, uh, or to be subject to the Hashkocha of the Rav of the synagogue in which the event takes place. So it's, it's a little long. I don't want to read the whole thing. We're running out of time, so let me get to the, a few more points. We also encourage all consumers as well as moistice to insist on, on, uh, upon on-site, outside Hashkocha for any events in which they choose to hire a party planner. A lot of people, uh, you know, a big has a big organization, and he hires a party planner with no ashkoch at all. That's what's happening. People don't realize it at all, what I'm telling you. Um, otherwise, attendees often assume that an organization takes responsibility for any event in its, uh, under its auspices. And in reality, they're relying on a party planner without ashkoch. I wonder how many of those are happening here in Brooklyn. In the event that there's no outside hashkocha for the event, such as may happen in a private home, community members must understand that they cannot assume that an outside that an event outside of our synagogue is automatically under outside hashkocha just because they see familiar faces who sometimes work with an outside hashkocha. And that's very important. Some people see a person, and they say, oh, I've seen him all the time. It is a reli- reliable fellow, this and that. I see him working at different affairs. That doesn't mean anything. When you walk into a kiddish, you can ask who is giving, who, whose hashkacha is today, if there is a, or uh, some other event. You can ask whose hashkacha is, and you'll get an honest answer. You'll get a person from personal answer, honestly. But, but you don't, just by seeing a from worker there, you can't make the assumption that the party is under Hashkocha. So this is just a little taste of what they had. And what did they do? They signed these papers. They got the, the, the city together. And we got to do it here in Brooklyn. And I really hope that some people who are listening to the show will take the time to say, oh, Really? You mean it might be an event in the shul or in the uh, in the yeshiva or in this other organization that doesn't have ashkacha? Let me find out, and let's find out what they do and see if you can affect the change. Uh, I offer no money, no no nothing at all uh, to help you set up any program like this. Just as I've tried to help different shuls to set up a a program for the kiddushes, and um, I'm available, no no charge whatsoever. Anyway, we we'll just want to remind everybody that if you'd like to, you can get the Kashrus Magazine subscription for one year at a special rate. If you call, by the way, don't waste time, call 718-336-8544. 718-336-8544. Kashrus Magazine at $18 instead of $25. Or two subscriptions for you and your brother, for you and your parents, for, for you you in the office and in the house, two subscriptions for $25. That's a half price. And you just call 718-336-8544, leave your number, we'll get back to you, or email us at kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, 
at AOL.com, K-A-S-H-R-U-S at AOL.com. And until next week, this is your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler from Cautious Magazine, wishing you a wonderful week. Anywhere, anytime, for everyone. This is JRootRadio.com.